What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I am your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset, behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. So here we are, guys, on episode number 46. And our guest today was supposed to appear on last week's episode number 45, but there was a bit of a scheduling clash. So last week when I was talking about ESG and impact investing, it was actually International Women's Day. Um, And so what I've had to do is uh, move this to this week, but I had hoped to be having a conversation with a lady who knows a thing or two about the real estate industry, Miss Helen Chorley who is uh, now actually a bit of a TV celebrity. She's on Sky, uh, on the Sky Channel. She's got a show with a couple of other property experts called Property Elevator, which for those of you who are not familiar, it's a kind of Dragon's Den or a Shark Tank show, only it involves um, property kind of developers pitching investors for uh, investment in their deals. So we're going to get into all of that and we're also going to get into her career before property, which is quite interesting for me. I remember one of my favorite films when I was a young guy was a film called Wall Street with Michael Douglas and uh, Charlie Sheen. And it was this kind of crazy investment bank um you know, two telephones hanging out of your ear, of your ear, everybody shouting and screaming to buy shares and sell shares and all this kind of stuff. So Helen was actually a part of that whole thing for 11 years as a sort of person working on the trading floor in JP Morgan. And uh, she talks about that. She talks about why she left that and the importance of health and mindset and all that kind of stuff. So it's a great episode. And um, I'm, you know, we go into an awful lot of detail and all this kind of stuff. So I'm not going to go and spend too much time here at the outset. Uh, so without further ado, will you please welcome Miss Helen Chorley? Helen, you're most welcome. How are you doing today? Jolly good, thank you. It's a lovely day here in Malta. So uh, yeah, making the most of the sunshine. That was my first question is where does this uh, it, it, where does this podcast find you? You're actually in Malta at the moment, yeah. Yes, I moved here full time a couple of years ago. I haven't spent a, um, a winter in the UK for a long time and I was spending so much time here that it just made sense to, to move over full time. So yeah, just right by the sea, overlooking the sea. Here. Oh, we're in a bit of a gale actually today so if there's some noise that's what it is and how much time do you spend in the UK well um you know up until kind of the craziness of, of this year and last I was back and forth quite often a week here a week there a week here a week there it was it was it was pretty crazy so to be honest when um you know all the travel kind of stopped it was a slight relief for a while, but now uh, I came back to Malta in August and I haven't left. Right. So, um, nice so for me to be in one country that whole time is really quite unusual. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get into all that shortly, but I thought for the benefit of the audience who may not have heard who Helen Shirley is, let's just give a little bit of a backstory uh, as to who you are in, in your kind of what's brought you to where you are today. 
Sure, absolutely. Well, today I'm a property development investor. I invest in other people's deals. Um, I'm one of the angels, the only female angel on the property uh, elevator TV show that was on Sky, uh, shown in the autumn. And we're due, fingers crossed, to record another one this year. Uh, heavily involved in property. I'm going to be a judge this year for Property Investor Awards. Um, I'm a contributing writer for Property Investor News Magazine, and I'm a co-founder, it's closest to my heart, I'm a co-founder of Property Sisters UK, which is a support, um, a group, a community for, for women in property. Wow, busy, busy lady, so. <laughs> and tell us, um, your kind of early day stages, like you you went to, whereabouts did you kind of grow up Oh, so, so going right back, as you can probably hear, I'm, I'm northern. I'm from in between Liverpool and Manchester. So actually, I have the worst accent because I've got the worst bits of both of them. So, um, yeah, <laughs> and, and, and all you... my family's still up there. So OK, yeah, yeah. No, I just I was, I was trying to place it because us Irish guys don't always know exactly what the accent is when uh, when we're speaking to people. And tell me this in terms of university, did you do anything that kind of led you towards property or was it just as kind of a, a basic enough kind of education in university? Um, I've always been kind of really into numbers. I had um, kind of 10 bank accounts by the age of 10. I'm quite kind wow. of numbers and mathsy and, and, and geeky like that. So um, for my A-levels, I did maths, further maths, economics and French. And actually, I really liked economics, understanding kind of the way the world worked, the real life world worked, you know, the practical side of stuff. So I went on to do that at university. I did politics, philosophy and economics at Oxford. Um, yeah, so I had a whole, yeah, whole broad spectrum of things to study there. And then what did you do after that? You went into banking, you were telling me. Yes, actually. So I didn't I didn't start in property. I started in investment banking. I worked on the foreign exchange trading floor at JP Morgan for 11 years. So, um, yeah, that was uh, <laughs> that was interesting and fun times. But as you can imagine, it was quite um, adrenaline fueled and high stress. Yeah, I was just going to ask you that. I mean, for anyone, you know, anyone who's young and doesn't like nowadays, trading floors look quite different. So back in those days, I, as far as I can remember, you had people in yellow coats and blue coats and all these and, and screaming and shouting with pieces of paper, um, uh, a little bit like the film uh, Trading Places. Yeah, that was the life floor. So we had our own kind of foreign exchange trading floor in JP Morgan. Oh, actually, all the banks did at that time. But the, but, um, the electronic trading systems were only just starting off. They were being kind of trialed. So actually, it was still when there were deals to be done, a big deal to be executed. It was everybody, two, a phone in each hand, and wow. speaking and shouting down mics and all stood on our feet. And it was... Um, it was crazy, but it was exhilarating. And you can imagine as a 20 odd year old, you know, um, having never been in London before it was, um, yeah, I was living, yeah, living the dream. I had friends that went from, from university in Dublin over to work in, you know, I think it was, um, well, I can't remember, but there was a couple of those big banks similar to JP Morgan and um, they started working there. And I can remember the lifestyle was, you know, out nearly every night of the week. They had the expense accounts, drinking, uh, basically entertaining clients and all. So that was the kind of lifestyle that you're, you were kind of in back then. Um, but the guys, they didn't spend that long before they kind of felt like that they had to move on because 
it is kind of a difficult lifestyle to maintain for any length of time if you want to be stay healthy, I guess. Yeah, you're you're on kind of, you know, the whole time you're on the trading floor. Actually, I chose the trading floor because it actually at least it closed. So I had friends that went into M&A, mergers and acquisitions, and they wouldn't have a holiday. They wouldn't have a weekend off for six, eight weeks, as long as a deal kind of was going on. So at least with kind of the trading floor, we passed the books over to New York. And, you know, there was a there was a cut off. They did shut. Um, But yeah, it's but but the whole time you're in and and I would start work at six o'clock every day, one day a week. It was my turn to kind of do all the research and understand what happened in Asia overnight. So one day a week, five o'clock. But you're on the whole time because you have to be there ready to be at the end of the phone and have those answers and execute a trade as soon as the client rings in. And I joked with my mum because it happened over lockdown one but I was so busy in between Zoom calls. I ran to the loo and ran back to get wow. on the next call. And I said, God, I haven't done that for a long time. But but that's how it was. That's how it yeah, was on a trading floor. It was literally you run and you run back. You Urgency. You off the desk. You eat at the desk. You are on from the moment you arrive to the moment you leave. High stress, yeah. And did yeah. that, and, and I understand that had an impact on your health eventually, yeah, it did. It did eventually. Um, that caught up with me and I. I basically had adrenal fatigue, um, and and I tried to work. I tried to push through it, <laughs> as us A types do. You think uh, that then, oh, this can't show any weakness. Going to keep on going. Like <laughs> exactly, I can do this. I can overcome this. It's fine. Um, it'll be fine. It's all in the mind. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And um, but no, yeah, I had to leave. Actually, it was very interesting timing because it was. 2008 by the time kind of my friends and my parents kind of intervened and were just like you have to leave or else you're you're gonna you're gonna kill yourself you're gonna something to see really serious is gonna happen um so I went off with sick leave in early 2008 and basically just you know realized there was no way I could go back to that kind of lifestyle and then as it transpired well we we now know what happened in the rest of 2008 don't we and my um my fiance was at Lehman's at the time. So that oh, made God. 2008 even more interesting. God, 2008. Yeah. I mean, Lehman's brother, that's what, that's basically, that was the moment when my situation, I was, I was involved in a big deal down in Spain and I had committed to the deal. I had actually paid over monies. And after all of that, Lehman's collapsed and I was holding this kind of baby basically. And I had, 30 million of debt that was kind of uh, committed, but had not been drawn down yet. And it was subject to various conditions being met. And it didn't look like we were going to be able to meet the conditions. And so the the bank that I had committed, you know, I was paying all these fees to this bank, like for non-utilization of 30 million. And and then when we went to actually get the money, they wouldn't release it to us. And um, I, I mean, it was just the most stressful environment i can i can remember in my life and uh, and so i don't want to ever go back to that again you know it's just too yeah, much it's, yeah it was it was game changing and it was it was all all bets are off wasn't it, it was mm. uh, i think a lot of people used you know 2008 as a kind of a time to reset their lives and their kind of priorities and stuff because it just you, you know too many years of you know, too much, you know, the fuel kind of being thrown on the fire every day. And like, you know, it's great making lots of money, but it's the impact it has on your health and stuff can be pretty devastating. 
Tell me this. I spent the next two years after that basically in bed. So I didn't have a life. For the oh, next wow. And you're in bed, really? Like there was yeah. that bad. Yeah. Okay. So it was a pretty serious illness in your case. Yeah. 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 Um, I was going to ask just, uh, you know, what brought you into JP Morgan? Were there any influences that kind of drew you into that life? Uh, what, what, who were your kind of childhood heroes and stuff like that, you know? Actually, it's it, this won't come as a great surprise, but I, I was very competitive with my boyfriend at the time, and he was um he was a trader at Citibank. He, we were at the same college, Oxford, and he was a trader at Citibank. But he'd really wanted to get um, to get a job at J.P. Morgan because J.P. Morgan at the time was renowned as having the best graduate training program. You got shipped off to New York for kind of a few months it was and you did this you know world-class training program everybody wanted to be on it um and he hadn't got in and I just just made up my mind I'm like right I'm, I'm gonna, gonna do this <laughs> I'm gonna get in and yeah put my mind to it and, and and that's what happened but um I just I found something actually the other day because I'm in the middle of moving house and it was a little book a little kind of Victoria Plum purple notebook and in it is what effectively looks like an Excel spreadsheet, but drawn out. And by hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, by hand. With my dad's signature, this record of my pocket money and kind of the accumulation and what I'd taken in and out. So I think, you know, I've been kind of like trained definitely to be frugal as well with money from, from being, you know, yay high and yeah, we had we had Excel before it was invented on Victoria Apple wow. paper. <laughs> <laughs> That's gas. Well, tell me this: um, you moved then. I mean, obviously, you spent some time recuperating, and uh, it, it was time for a reset. You know, you found you, you recovered. Was that the time that you decided that you were going to give property a try, or when? Yeah, once I started, you know. You know getting my health back and having a bit more energy, then what I realized that I'd missed certainly in the, you know, the corporate world was, was my creativity had been stifled. You know, you get there, you do your job. And there was just, there wasn't any energy or time or, or mental space, to be honest, for, for anything else out, outside of that. So I tried all sorts, actually. I went on um, a floristry course, thought it was going to be a florist. Then I went on a hat making course because I, I love hats. Um, I think I might have gone on a shoe design or I was looking into shoe design. I wanted something to express that creativity. Um, but also like I needed like the mental stimulation as well. So I realized that they weren't going to be kind of careers for me. Yeah. Um, but what we did at the time, um, actually, yeah, because of a funny way the Lehman's thing played itself out, we bought a massive house, well, massive for London, zone one, four and a half thousand square foot house. And I love like design and furniture and, 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 and that was my project. That was my baby. That was my life for kind of the next uh, year or two, you know, designing that and making that our own. So um, that's how I got into um, kind of, you know, doing up property. And then I tried my hand at um, being a home stager, helping other people out, um, which was more stressful than being on the trading floor. Right, God. So, so that didn't last. That didn't last too long. It was great. Again, it was that creativity and and taking one thing and transforming it. And I loved that. 
but um, doing it for other people was, yeah, I think I worked out my hourly rate was about £1.66. Yeah, I can relate. I was an architect starting out and like working for other clients just wasn't doing it for me at all. And it was the worst thing was chasing the money then afterwards. And it was like they didn't appreciate the amount of work that had gone into this design that you had done. And I'd be looking, I remember looking for like an extra thousand or something like that. They had, they had spent, you know, 15,000 extra. So I was entitled to 1500 of an extra fee and they were squabbling with me over this and I oh, know we're not paying this. I remember just thinking, you know what, keep your fee. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to fight over this. I really, and I just got straight into property and I just decided I'm not working with clients again. It's just, it's too stressful. Um, yeah. especially domestic clients because it's their home, it's their pocket, you know, it's out of their pocket. Whereas commercial clients, you know, they have a big budget and it's not yeah. their money. So they can kind of allocate it a bit more easily. It's not like you're tearing it out of their fingertips. Quite, quite. Yeah. And so were you doing this to sell or were you doing these to hold on as investment properties or what was the. the um, that, that was our home at the time. Right. But- with how things transpired um we did end up selling that a few years later but what I also really had loved and I'd I'd move I can't remember how many times by that point probably like 11 times I used to move every two years I just loved finding something that was undervalued personalizing it and adding value um and then kind of moving up the 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 property ladder um, so I'd done that. I'd started out with a tiny matchbox of a property in Covent Garden, age like 22 or, or 23 or whatever I was, and uh, just gradually kind of done that and had made nice chunks of money along the way. And that one was a spec. That was a spectacular buy. And we timed the market just right because it was the American Embassy. It had been announced that was that was going to be in Nine Elms, which is just around. I remember. The- yeah, I remember. Yeah. But the prices haven't reacted. So I'm, and I just look at everything that kind of about a pound per square foot. And I'm like, there's something wrong. This, this is priced incorrectly. Yeah. Like this is next to a pigsty or a sewage plant or there's something bad. And actually it was just um, a motivated seller as, as we would call them these days. So we, we did beautifully on that. And um, yeah, kind of once we'd sold that and I'd done some other kind of trades as well. I, I I had a kind of another shift and that's when I decided actually I wanted to spend more time kind of out of the UK. Uh, and, and I read something, I got, you know, I was looking at how to do property professionally and I read that it could be passive. Okay. Great. And I believe that. <laughs> yeah, nice try. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many people believe that property is completely passive? Yeah, I know. I see that as the, you know, I want to get into property so I can basically retire, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I say yeah. put them in the that's what I thought I thought oh I'll just I'll find this I'll invest this money hands off I sold off to Malta you know oh I don't need to do anything I'll just be there getting paid my return yes not worked out like that and tell me so after the property I seen that um you you, you were involved with Ruth Hobbs in setting up property sisters so tell us a little bit about you know that and, and how it gets started and Absolutely. We'd been doing um, kind of meetups. It's Ruth Hobbs, Carolina Ademchik, um, uh, Claire Norwood and I. And we'd been doing meetups from almost the kind of the time that we met, which was probably about five years ago. Um, and we did one for our birthdays because three of us have birthdays in January. 
and we just we just like at that time and it's different now thankfully so but at that time you'd go to a property meet you'd walk in and you would be one of two women in a room of 50 60 100 men and it was even for me coming from a trading floor background even for me it was intimidating right so if you know if you're you know a housewife at home as Claire had been rocking up to something like that you know a, a lot of women kind of feel or felt kind of out of their depth and we were like maybe we could like all just support each other and it's not anti-men god we love we all work with men and we love working with men we know some amazing men in this industry but women need the support of other women and to be able to say did you feel like this like how did you handle this and it is different I know it's yeah. not easy to say we're different but we are and that's where it came from. We wanted to create a community where people could share experiences to say, oh, yeah, that happened to me. Or or even just, you know, does anybody know a good architect in Dublin or, or whatever, it, you know. It, yeah. it um, and so we kind of formalized that in 2019. And then with lockdown one, it just kind of took off. We'd actually done um, a one day kind of um, workshop event that was just fabulous. Um, in Mayfair and we had kind of various different speakers and we just realized you know that we were we were really onto something and that, that there was a real need a, a hunger thirst for this um, so yeah it really took off in, in lockdown one because we were doing weekly uh, zoom meetings and had different speakers in and you know obviously we haven't been able to meet up in person since but we're, we're literally oh we can't wait for for when that can happen you know I'd fly in from wherever I was for these, you know, when we were having the, the in-person. Yeah. I, I would have huge FOMO if I wasn't there. And I'm like, I'm going to be there. So. Well, it, it's a terribly male-dominated industry, all right, isn't it? And so I can understand. I have four daughters. So, and I, and I think about, you know, those guys, you know, thinking about going into this industry because, you know, being an, in the property industry, you kind of want to kind of pass on to the next generation, but I kind of wondered to myself how they'll find that um, given the kind of the way it's skewed all towards men, really. So it's an interesting point. So I wonder, will you set up an Irish chapter so that we can have uh, them over here? Um, well, I have an amazing friend over there, Laura McClockney, who actually I was, it popped up on my memories because it was International Women's Day earlier this week. And um that's how I got stuck in the UK in lock for lockdown one. She put on a, an amazing um, uh, evening at the London real estate meet uh, and just women panelists. We had three different panels kind of speaking about different aspects of property, but all women. And the room was packed, uh, men and women, because, you know, we've all got something to say. And as I say, we're not we're not the, you know, the kind of uber feminist down with men you know there's there's honest honestly hand on heart there's none of that chat in our kind of group it's it's just a you know we laugh at you but we know you laugh at us and and yeah it's, how do we navigate these things yeah um, yeah no, we love working with men and tell me helen reflecting back on your career are there any habits or behaviors that have served you very well and any that you've had to kind of you've you've had to kind of try to kind of put down because they're not serving you um yes yeah, certainly kind of that overworking you know kind of type a I, it is still it's still an ongoing struggle with me I tell you it's something that, that I do do um and I was chatting with one of our members Kat Settle we did an insta live a couple of weeks ago on this but meditation for me has been a game changer 
It's funny you say that I've just been meditating today. All right, yeah, it, it is very, very good, isn't it? it? It's made such a difference to me too. I think if you are, uh, you know, uh, someone that's on the go and I have a very kind of active mind, I love and I need mental stimulation, but, but that can get too out of control. And when that gets, when you're too in your head, it, it, it manifests for me as anxiety. And so, so that, um, so the meditation just grounds me, it mm. resets me. And also I don't just kind of do the passive, you know, like empty your mind type. I do kind of the, the manifestation and kind of thinking and like creating the future. I love that type as well. So um, yeah, I went on a, on a Dr. Joe Dispenza retreat a few years ago and literally for, from that day on, I've, I've meditated every day and it's a, it's a non-negotiable for Okay. That's great to hear. Yeah. I mean, it's something that I've been trying to do. I find I'm, I think I'm, we're quite similar in that regard. I overcommit to so many different things and then suddenly they're all due at the same time and overwhelm. And so I have to actually st stop what I'm doing and actually take 20 minutes to kind of do some meditation and just try to kind of come back, you know, with everything settled and okay, now what's the priority? Let's deal with one thing at a time. Yeah, you but, do. You literally, you have to get out of all I do. I have to get out of my head, and exactly like I, I mostly listen to kind of guided meditations because I need that distraction for the conscious mind of listening to another voice. Yeah, that that does reground me. I literally, I was uh, yeah, listening to one just before this. I listen to. Uh, I have the app Calm, and it's that uh, lady. Uh, I can't remember her name, but uh, Tamara, I think it is, or something like that. And she has this very mellow voice, and it's like you know, okay, now I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> it's so. It so depends on on whose voice. There's a lovely lady I listen to on. Um, it's free on YouTube. She has amazing ones. She's Australian, but again, that voice just lulls you into like calms those brain waves. Jess Shepherd is her name. So. Yeah. We're checking her out too. Okay, I'll do that. And the, the reason I'm asking this is because I know from my experience, and I'm sure you've gone through the same thing, is that the property industry works in these kind of um, hectic periods and then you're waiting for you know permission or you're waiting for something to happen, financing or legal or whatever it is. And so in order to keep the kind of um, the show on the road, I found that I would have multiple deals at different stages so that I didn't have to wait so long for the next stage to come along. Exactly. And the problem with that is, as we're describing here, is that the type A personalities, it's go, 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 and then nothing. And you're like, okay, I got to go and get busy again. I got to do something. And so you end up packing every single sort of moment full of deals. And I ended up, you know, one of the difficulties I had in 2008 was not having one or two deals. It was having seven or eight active at the same time. Yeah. And some of them in a construction stage. So you, you can't end that, you know, you can't get up and sell it or do anything like that. You have to finish out the job. And in some cases, the banks start to kind of pull the plug on the financing. And so it's very difficult to finish a job. Yeah. And, um, and so one of the things that I found as well was actually um, my fitness. I, I found that just, you know, every day, non-negotiable for me, a run or some sort of vigorous exercise. And that just kind of like sets me up and gives me the endorphins I need to start the day. Yeah, that's actually, that's, that's for me too. I found um, lockdown one really difficult uh, because of that. Um, and actually I was joining in online classes from Malta, but okay. in the UK. All right. 
Interesting. Yes, exactly. And I prefer to do exercise in the morning, actually, because again, it gets me out of my head. I wake up and my mind's like, have you done this? And have you done that? And what about this? And, you know, or is is, is go from the minute. In fact, that's what wakes me up before my eyes are open is this voice going, have you done that? Did you speak to them? And I'm like, actually, get out, get to the gym or get to a class. And that gets me back in my body. And then, then I yeah i'm the same i get it get it all done first thing and then by 8 30 or whatever you can kind of get started on the day and i was going to go like we've talked about your life before tv and now you're involved in a television show and i'm interested to know you know how first of all how that came about but second of all has it transformed your visibility obviously is is much improved and stuff what's that been like for you god well it happened because um i was doing a lot more speaking I only started, you know, I, I had this nice, quiet little passive, well, not passive, but as passive as I can do um, in Malta before that. And I started speaking up because what I realized is there's a lot of kind of developers speaking and promoting their stuff and people who run courses speaking. And, and that's great, you know, if there's genuine knowledge to share. But nobody was asking, what, what does an investor want? Nobody was asking, well, you know, nobody was giving an investor's side of it. Because there was stuff happening where, you know, some when there were difficulties, some developers would disappear and there was no communication. And it's like, well, that's not okay. It's not professional for a start. And, and, and that's not okay from an investor's perspective. So I started speaking about, well, this is what investors look for. This is why I would invest in a deal or why I would choose to invest in a person, which is actually what I do rather than a kind of a specific deal. Uh, and it kind of started off that way. And then I was on a panel with um, John Howard, who's one of the executive producers of the show. And there had been a series one um, and they were planning a series two. And John asked me if I would if I would join in with that because he knows I'm active kind of funding people's deals. And like you say, when you're saying, you know, you were juggling seven kind of um, uh, construction projects. projects you know, obviously I'm not the one managing, you know, I invest in the developers, but I must have, I have probably 10 deals on the go, at least at any one on one time, because even just from a managing the cash flow perspective, it has to be phased like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, met John and he asked me and um, yeah, that was due to be recorded much earlier, but obviously with, with the events of last year, we ended up um, recording that in August and then it was shown over um, autumn, winter, um, and the response was, was was really was really overwhelming. It was really great. I, I was really pleased with it from a perspective of I wanted it to be educational, not just kind of entertainment. Oh, let let's watch this and you know see. Yeah. You. But actually, again, really give insight, but useful insight into how different people, different investors approach different deals. And, and, you know, there's, there's Ranjan, there's um, Paul Mahoney, Nicholas Walwork, John and me. And because we all have our different preferences and, and choose kind of different strategies, almost different business models, then we all brought something different to the table. So I, I hope it was really useful. The feedback that we got is that it was really useful. So, um, yes, yeah, so the series three should, fingers crossed, be, be being recorded this year. Brilliant. Yeah. And for anyone who doesn't know what it is, I guess a good description would be it's kind of a property version of Dragon's Den or something like that, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's um, there's five angel investors 
and people come onto the show to pitch their deal and get investment and or mentoring from from one or more maybe two of the of the angels certainly some deals were done where um, more than one angel invested in a, in a deal so um but talking about the visibility yes that's been a that's been a game changer and i i knew that would happen um it, it wasn't kind of it wasn't the reason for doing it but um you know, it's been good and bad. It's given me like so many more opportunities, which is fabulous. But but as you know, once you start putting yourself out there, then you have to be prepared for for the trolls and the haters and the criticism as well. Bit of that, so, yeah, you know, it comes with the territory. It, yeah. So. Well, you know, it, it was soon once you have. I remember I actually had a hater uh, comment on a video and on my YouTube one day, and I can remember instead of being upset, I was like, "Hey, I must be doing something right. I've got my first hater," you know. <laughs> And that's the way I look at it is like, you know, there's, they're always out there, but you, you know, you don't see them until you're starting to kind of get some notice or whatever it is, you know? No, no, exactly. Exactly. That you, you have to be prepared for that. That comes with the territory. And also what comes with the territory is people kind of copying as well. And, you know, that's, that's been a bit frustrating. People taking kind of my IP and passing it off as their own. As their own but again, yeah. That happens every day of the week. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah, that's an interesting one. And I, I've seen you describe yourself as a hyper-realist. What do you mean when you say that? Well, I used to call myself cynical and I realized that had just two negative connotations. So then I changed to skeptical and I am quite skeptical, but actually there's a, there's a huge, there's optimism in me. You know, I'm not just purely cynical. Otherwise, God, I definitely wouldn't be in property <laughs> if I was. Yes. You know, and I definitely wouldn't be working with the people that I work with. You know, it's what I love. It is it can be frustrating, but it's what I love about developers. Well, they have this huge kind of optimism and, you know, this vision that, you know, that that creator profile generally on, on the wealth dynamics. And they have this huge vision, which I'm a trader profile. So, so actually, you know, I, that isn't my strength, which is probably why I like it so much. Right. Um, but but yeah, it, it's a Ray Dalio phrase actually. And if anybody's not read the book Principles, do because it's I have uh, it here in my shelf. Yeah, it, it's just great it's, book. It's absolutely epic, and it and it's 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 his phrase, and it's it's about kind of like being real, like take off. If you're an optimist, take off those rose tinted glasses, and then if you're a pessimist, actually, you know, maybe put, put them, them back on. <laughs> and hopefully, you end up kind of somewhere in it, somewhere in the in the um, the middle. There's a um, phrase, and it's going to escape me right now, but it's the Stockdale paradox. And then basically, it says kind of you you have to have that optimism. You have to have kind of belief that you are going to get there for your long term goal. But you must face what's in front of you and the brutality and the utter reality of what's in front of you right now. I probably done that no service, but look it up. Um, and that that to me is what a hyper realist is. Yeah. It, I can see, I'm almost a troubleshooter. I can see kind of problems or because I'm very risk focused because I'm numbers and, you know, finance background because I'm risk focused. I can see what potential problems there could be. And I just think it's wise to prepare for those things. I think you're right. I think so many people, they overlook that. They kind of gloss over it. And I could remember it back, you know, in 2005 and 2006. I remember being pitched regularly by, you know, different agents and stuff. And they would have these, you know, sheets done, you know, analysis, financial analysis done. And it would, the deal would make no sense in the current market. But 
they were saying two years from now, the, the rents will have risen or the capital values will have risen and you're going to do great, you know? And I yeah, but you're buying today. And, and they just, they had this kind of assumption that nothing makes sense today. Like, I mean, you're not going to find any deals today if you're looking for something that makes sense today. It's the three years out, that's when it's going to make sense. And I, and I can remember thinking, I'm not sure that this is a healthy market anymore because <laughs> this was this was happening every day of the week. You just couldn't find a deal that made sense. Wow. Yeah. And, and I mean, from that point of view, um, hyper-realist, I think, is a great thing because uh, you know, having gone through the 2008 crash as I've done, and and I, and I and I've spoken before about the kind of struggles that I had after that, which were pretty pretty severe. But I think it's a great thing to be talking about because there's an awful lot of people out there who've gotten themselves into this mindset that you know by getting into the property business you're going to be wealthy. And therefore, you can start bringing forward all those kind of uh, things that you want now. So you want to drive that Range Rover. There's no problem. Go out and borrow the money from the bank because you know you're going to make the money in the future. And I think there's enough gurus and stuff out there that are kind of banging this drum and kind of promoting that. And I, that's one of the reasons why I came up with we were talking about before we went and started recording the um, this is a business, not a lifestyle. And, uh, and as I've said before, and I do think it's important because I think too many people out there are just focused on the lifestyle aspect and, you know, they want to buy the nice watch and the fancy car. And, and so this is, they think that this is an avenue to that lifestyle and really it can be, but it, it's a slow, you know, steady rise. It's not an overnight kind of a thing. And, and you've got to have, I think, a prop, you know, a passion for property in your blood in order to kind of last through those difficult years because there can be an enormous amount of stress with this business. Absolutely. And I think that treating it as a business, you know, I've heard people say, oh, you know, it's, it's my hobby and oh, I'm so passionate about it and it's so fun. You, you can't dip in and out of this. It's, or it, it's very difficult to, you're not going to optimize your opportunities and you're going to expose yourself to risk if you approach it that way. And also something that you said that is really, really critical. I actually said it to somebody. I had um, a kind of a newbie reach out to me on, on Instagram recently. I want to get into property and I want to do this and I want to do this. I'm like, great, but why, you know, what have you done previously? This and that and the other. Been very successful kind of in their own right in a different area, but didn't have any money in the bank. And I'm like, why do you think kind of coming into property, why, why do you think this is suddenly going to be like the panacea? This is going to be, you know, all this money. Mm. Why? I'm like, there's a step before that. And it's what you talk about a lot. It's mindset. Unless you change your mindset about wealth and about how to create it and about how to generate and accept it, then quite frankly, you know, you're just going to be another stat in property as well. You didn't make it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, something yeah. else has to change if you've not made it or made the millions somewhere else like why do you think this is going to be something has to change or you have to have such passion and such grounded belief and grit yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> that goes without saying yeah and be ready to ride that you know as you and i well know this is a roller coaster you know you strap yourself in yeah, yeah. Oh, we can talk about the bad deals all day long. Um, tell me this, what's the best advice that anyone gave you in, in, in respect of property and stuff? Uh, oh, what's the best advice? Um, I, I think 
the one that made a difference to me, but I, but I, I caution to use it because I see this getting people into trouble, but just get involved, somebody said to me, because I'm the type that will sit back, will overanalyze, will, you know, take my time. I am very tortoise, not hare. And I, you know, my message is normally be a tortoise, not a hare. But actually I needed, I'm the personality type that I needed that little push actually to get involved. So I think the best advice really is to, is to understand yourself. And if you're a one that just dives in, you know, without kind of thinking and preparation, then maybe you should stay on the side and be a little more tortoise. But if you're a little more, you're, if you are tortoise by nature, then perhaps be a little more hare. So... So understand your nature and and basically make sure that it's not working against you. Self-awareness is just is. Yeah, it is an absolute game changer when you understand the programs that you're running, why you do what you do. And we all think it's because we make all these choices because we're these empowered individuals. We're running on programming that might not even be yours. It might be your parents, which is probably their parents, which is probably their parents. Yeah, We're all running these programs. And when you start to understand that, then you can understand kind of where your weaknesses are, where your blind spots are, what your strengths are and why they are and who you should work with. So personal development mindset, that is a fundamental part of, of any business and particularly property. Yeah. Understanding how you process information as well. And uh, I, I actually talked about one of my episodes in this podcast, we talked about cognitive bias and the, the fact that you can have all of this pre-programmed into your brain. And it's not even necessarily your parents. It's just humankind in general, just human nature that you automatically do certain things. And it's like, you know, the, do you, would you, do you sell a property when you're losing money? Most people say no, but it actually might be the right thing to get out now rather than let it fall even further. And, uh, and I've been through that emotion where you just refuse to accept that the value has dropped and you end up just chasing it down and down and down further and further. And there's so many of these things. Yeah. And the beauty of, of, of kind of that trading mentality as well that you have to know it's it's um it's called a stop loss in in trading yes you just have to know there's a, the point at which yes you're gonna have to take some pain but it's probably going to be better than kind of holding on and waiting you also have to know when to take profit and that's what people get wrong in trading is they're yeah. watching and they're riding it up and up and they think this this upwards trend you're seeing it in bitcoin at the moment aren't you? people are riding this like it's never going to end it is going to end. So yeah, it is. Topics. I'll tell you an interesting story. Just uh, I've been I've been reflecting back on this. I have an email myself and my friends back in 2011. We discovered Bitcoin and we we were actually talking amongst ourselves about grouping together to buy some Bitcoin. And the, the time the price was eighty nine dollars. Uh, OK, and now it's what, forty two thousand or whatever it is. And so we've been, we've, I've, I just reached out to the guy who I was emailing and I just sort of said, I found this, what do you think? And we were going to put, I think there was going to be eight of us that were going to put 5,000 each into it. So it was going to be 40,000. And today that would be worth 20 million or something like that. And, and it's just insane. But what's like, people are saying, my God, you know, are you so, you know, distressed and stuff. Um, And I just sort of say, well, actually no, because 
The reality is, is if we had bought at 89, you can be damn sure we would have sold out at 200. And then you'd be like, no, I can't believe it's gone to 300. And you would refuse to get in because you, you know, you wanted to go back down to 200 before you get back in again. And this is the games that play out in your head is nobody would have hung on from 89 all the way to 42,000 and have the full 20 million today. Nobody would have done it. You would have, and you would have gone through the point where, what is it, Mount Geox or one of these kind of servers were hacked a couple of years ago and a load of people had their Bitcoin stolen. Yeah. And then not so long ago, it hit 20,000 and then it dropped down to three and yeah. people would be jumping out of windows because of yeah. that, you know? Yeah. And so it's, you know, you have to just understand your mentality and the fact that you're never going to get it right. You just have no. to get in at the point where you can. No, and be able to, to manage those emotions around it. And that's certainly the advice that I give to people kind of getting into property. If they just want to kind of be an, an investor, um, you know, don't put kind of all, your whole chunk kind of in one deal, because if you do, you're emotionally invested like, like overly emotionally invested. Yeah. I started off really small. I started off using a, um, various crowdfunding platforms and literally my first deal was 2000 pounds. Okay. You know, you know, it, like, you know, very relatively kind of like small amounts just to kind of learn, dip my toe in and see what happens such that, you know, when things go wrong, then it's like, well, it's not fabulous, but I've learned a lot. And, yeah. you know, it's, I'm not lying awake at night, like worrying or, you know. Or, you yeah. Know, well, it's not, it's not exciting, but it is steady progress that you want. And you're not risking the whole portfolio over one, you know, one asset or one stock. I wanted to ask you in terms of, um, you know, books and things, you mentioned Ray Dalio. Have you any, you know, books that you recommend that you think are particularly good for people understanding this kind of stuff? There is, I don't really read property books, but actually as we were talking about kind of trading and watching the, um, you know, Bitcoin and everything, there's a great book that is really good for understanding your own and kind of the wider attitude to risk. And it's a book by a lady poker player um, called Thinking in Bets. Uh, Annie Duke, gosh, I had a brain blip for a moment. Annie Duke, Thinking in Bets. And again, it's about poker and it's about asymmetric risk, which actually we don't necessarily know that we are, but that's what property is about. Right, right. And um, and, and it's, it's really applicable, the, the, like the mindset and what you're dealing with and why you make decisions based on kind of the information or the data that's in front of you. So I actually think it's really applicable to property. So that's a really good one. Um, uh, the, the other one, the other one that I always recommend, actually there's two, my two favorites are more kind of mindset and more like chill out books. One is Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself by Dr. Joe Dispenza. It's not an easy read. It, it's quite, you know, we we're talking about self-awareness. You want to deep dive into self-awareness, read that book because you're going to come up against all your programming. Okay. You yeah. know, and, and it's not comfortable. Look, I'm getting twitchy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but 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 it's it's game changing if you want to be a better version of you. Right. And then the last one is um is the one I read over and over and over again. Because for me, it's like reading a meditation and it's Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. Okay. And it's just, it's a it's a, just a pleasure. 
as a pleasure to read. It's it's very philosophical. Again, you, you, it's introspective, but it's it's the most calm book I've ever read. I love that. Mm. Nice. And um, I mean, in terms of staying up to date with what's going on when you're when you're based in Malta and, and I saw that in your profile, I saw that you're also spent time in Bermuda. Is that right? Yes, I do. I've got um, I've got very good friends and um, and their kids over there. So, yeah, I'm there. Well, I was before lockdown, before all of this. Yeah, I was there every year as well. So I'm long overdue a trip. I'm missing them incredibly. But yeah, I seem to have a little thing for little islands. Don't yes. Worry. Yeah. It's a nice way to be. All right. I, I mean, and that the great thing about, you know, technology and stuff nowadays is just the way that you can actually take off and, and spend half the year on the other side of the world and work remotely. Yeah. And uh, that's something you've obviously embraced in a big way. I noticed that, um, oh, sorry, you were going to say something? Oh, no, I was just going to say that, that that's what lockdown did because that was my, and how I was doing things, how I was operating before. It was like, can we jump on a Zoom? But it's like, oh, really? You know, well, yeah, yeah. can we just wait till you come over? And now it's like, oh, now it's, you know, it's default and that's just standard, isn't it? And I'm like, oh, welcome to my world. This is what, yeah. I, this is what I wanted, like people to be doing this more such that I didn't have to be in the UK as much, so... That's really worked for you. Yeah, I remember I had a Zoom account before the pandemic and uh, my, 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 you know, the people that I work with were questioning sort of, what do we have this stupid, you know, Zoom thing? Gavin, why are you, you know, what have you got this for? And then suddenly, oh, okay, now we get it, you know? Uh, yeah. Uh, and tell me this, um, I noticed that you're an advisor to a prop tech company and um, uh, it's called Aparo, is that right? It is, yes. So it's, um, I, I, they coined the term React, React company. So I see that, real estate and computer technology. Yeah. Exactly. So it's, um, it, it's very, for somebody that's very untechy, which I am, it's an, it's, a, it's an interesting choice, but, but I love it because, again, it's a whole new world for me to understand. But yes, my friend Toby Wilde um, is one of the co-founders of that, and it's an algorithm-based um, company, uh, identifying stressed and distressed assets. Um, and also now they, um, they have uh, non-discretionary funds that they they go out and uh, interesting as well so um yeah did a huge raise on that last year and they are just going from um from strength to strength which is is fabulous to see well that's what i, I just wanted to ask you about is that you know you describe yourself as non-techie but what do you think is going you know any predictions for the real estate market going forward i mean but around technology and all of this kind of thing um, yeah, absolutely. Actually, I did a, I did an interview with um, Toby for our Property Sisters YouTube channel um, in January, and he has some great things to say. And, and we're seeing it already. You know, if you saw, I think it was even just last week, Lloyd's announcing that they're going to be going into kind of residential, the residential market for themselves as a group, not just kind of providing mortgages. And Toby was talking about that previously. And I just think we're going to see more and more of that, like the institutional lenders kind of going into the resi market. Actually, what we have been seeing, particularly um, in some auctions recently, which has been interesting, is... Um, the, the nature of the of the assets and particularly commercial assets that some of these institutions hold has really changed, hasn't it? With, yeah. with last year and with well, you gosh, you you know this more so than anybody else. Um, uh, you know, with with 
the the challenges of kind of retail and kind of commercial in general and so managing those assets has taken on a whole a whole different challenge and mm-hmm. i think a lot of institutions don't don't want that or don't don't see you know they look at institutions look at things more on a relative a relative basis um, as i do with my own kind of portfolio uh, and and so it's not just the kind of the overall return you're looking for well where where is kind of the best return yeah and um so that's been really interesting to, to see that that kind of shift away from commercial more into resin. I think that's definitely going to be definitely going to be um, that that's going to continue for sure. And then the other side of it is just to kind of go on what you said there. Um, you've got the big funds that own. They have these portfolios that are weighted in certain ways. And what's happened in the last you know 12 months or so is that logistics and warehousing has become hugely valuable retail and shopping centers and all that has come has gone way down and offices obviously there's a question mark on that and then residential has you know shot up and these funds are all completely out of balance now i mean what they they would have had you know so much allocated to each of those sectors and then suddenly it's oh we've got far too much now in the logistics side because of the values of me and everything is gone in the other side so they're going to have to rejig their portfolios and that's going to actually mean that assets are you know dropped basically on the market for sale and it's going to be interesting to watch yeah it's that rebalancing of, of asset allocation exactly yeah um we're, we're coming near the end of the talk uh, Helen, i just one of the questions that i ask all of my guests is the um the advice that you would give yourself today uh, sorry your younger self if you had an opportunity to speak to yourself you know as a, as a 20 year old helen what would you what advice would you give to yourself oh i definitely tell her to start meditating right right now start today <laughs> <laughs> but would you have listened is the question yeah <laughs> no i i wouldn't have got it i wouldn't have no i was too hot headed for sure to be able to to get that. Um, I think it would be, well, definitely get into personal development and, t- and definitely kind of start getting into, you know, self-awareness and understanding what drives you. And I think certainly when I was younger and still maybe maybe so, you know, a little bit these days, uh, I'm driven or held back kind of by fear. Right. And, you know, maybe that's kind of the, you know, the, the downside of being hyper-realist. I see problems where perhaps there actually aren't any. And, it, and you miss the opportunities. Yes, yes. So I have definitely missed more deals that I wish I had invested in rather than, you know, one. I've gone in and I've lost a load of money. You know, to date, I, I haven't lost any, any money on a deal. That says to me, I'm not doing enough. Yeah, well, I mean, there's pros and cons to that, isn't there? I mean, if you haven't lost any money on a deal, then, you're, you know, you might be staying a little bit conservative. But, you know, the opposite end of that trade is me. And, uh, and I roll the dice in a big way. And, uh, and I paid the price in 2008. Um, Helen, thanks so much for um, talking to me today. I just was going to say, you've got a number of different platforms that you kind of appear on. Um, how should people look for you or find you uh, if they want to kind of reach out? Oh, sure. So LinkedIn, I'm quite active on that. Instagram, I'm Helen Chorley Investor. 
Um, we have a clubhouse room on a Thursday night talking about helping people um, pitch better. So um, I'm Helen Chorley on Clubhouse. And uh, yeah, that, that, they're the main ways. And actually, we also have the Property Sisters U, uh, UK YouTube channel. So we're quite active on that as well. So. And I believe you have your own website as well. So I, I do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> HelenTrolley.co.uk, is that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Great. Well, Helen, it's been a real pleasure. Um, thanks so much for your time and uh, look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you, Gavin. Total pleasure. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed episode 46, Miss Helen Chorley on Behind the Facade. Thank you so much for listening. As always, my number one ask of you is to leave a review and a five star rating. And if you can't do that, maybe you would be able to share the episode out with somebody who you think may benefit from it. In the show notes, you will find various links to things discussed today. And if you have a question or a topic you would like to, me to cover in future episodes, please connect with me via the Facebook group Behind the Facade Community. Or alternatively, you can find me on social media using my handle, Gavin J. Gallagher. Um, and I, nowadays, I'm actually doing uh, some YouTube videos as well. So go and check in over there and maybe subscribe to the channel and help me grow that channel too, as well as uh, this podcast. So lastly, if you want to stay up to date on any events or challenges or whatever I'm working on at the moment, please add your name to the email list over at gavinjgallagher.com forward slash go. And so that's it, guys. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I'll see you again next week. Mm-hmm.